We made this. Hello and welcome to Life's Milestones, the podcast about birth, relationships and death here on the We Made This podcast network. My name's Mark and I am a humanist celebrant. That means I am accredited and insured by Humanists UK to write and deliver humanists ceremonies. Everything from naming ceremonies to weddings to funerals and other ceremonies as well. This is my podcast about these milestones in people's lives and every fortnight I get a different guest to talk to me about their naming ceremonies, their weddings and what they'd like for their funeral. And this is the first of what I think is going to be four almost themed podcasts. I put out a call out on a group on Facebook called the Queer Podcasting Alliance. And the idea was I'd like to get some queer voices onto my podcast. I'm gay myself and I like the idea of more representation as this podcast progresses. So I kind of put a message out and four fascinating people, at least four so far, have responded and they're the next four guests that I'm going to have on Life's Milestones. And first up is India Bastian, who is a Mexican-American, and she has some fascinating stories. So rather than blither on, I'm just going to get straight to it. This is my interview with India Bastian. With me at this time is India Bastian. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to do a little bit of a guest profile before we get into the heavier stuff. The first one, it's normally quite a rude question, but I know you've seen these questions before. Can I ask how old you are? Yes. Um, and I always hesitate to say how old I am because then I'm like, shoot, am I really 32 or am I 33? And then I have to do math. I believe I'll be turning 33 this October. So um, I'm midway there, I guess, almost. Sort of. <laughs> I don't know. Time is irrelevant. <laughs> I think you're right. I've always... Certainly as I've got older, felt that age is a number, but I suppose that's because it suits me as I've got older, you know? Sure. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so I know that I basically got you as a guest through the Facebook group that we're both on. And I know you've got a podcast about LGB stories from the South of America called Southern Queries. But do you want to tell me about where you're from and what your background is as well. So I'm originally from a little town in the middle of the mountains, um, about four hours north of Mexico City. It's about 22 hours from the border of the U.S. And the town is called San Miguel de Allende in the state of Guanajuato. Now, if anyone has ever seen um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico with Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek, it was shot in my hometown. I love that film. Yeah, so that's the first uh, film I ever worked on. And um, if you've seen Coco, the animated film from Pixar, the animators spent six months to a year in my hometown taking uh, all, it all in for inspiration. Coco made me cry. 
Yeah, same. Um, hardcore. <laughs> it was Especially, incredible. It was such a great movie. But my hometown is a world UNESCO heritage site. It's been named the best city in the world by Condé Nast three times in a row. We're a hotspot magnet for um, tourism, destination weddings, and expats from around the world. So it's a quirky artist town. And if you looked up photos of it on Google right now, um, people usually go, oh, because <laughs> it's super colorful. <laughs> <laughs> and my background is, I have a very strange background. Um, like I said, I grew up in this really peculiar town. So I was homeschooled there. Um, I, went, I lived in Mexico City, in Prague, Czech Republic. Um, I moved back and forth in Mexico and traveled a lot. Um, and I have a background in graphic and web design and uh, the film industry uh, wholesale, selling things like home decor. And then I now am in the HR realm. Um, I work in right. people operations. <laughs> so I'm all over the place, if you can't tell. <laughs> I, I have no problem with all over the place. I think all over the place shows that you want to give everything a go. And as you know, I'm a humanist and you only get one life. So bloody well, go for it is my opinion. Yeah. And really, um, if I went into a long, in-depth story of how I got to the career that I am now, it makes sense when you listen to me be like, well, I connected all the dots and I'm really into people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. I wouldn't do the job I do if I wasn't into people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so do you want to tell me a little bit about Southern Queries? Yeah. So Southern Queries is a... Uh, I hate to call it a hobby because it's it takes a lot to run a podcast. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a long story, but short version is I moved from Atlanta, Georgia um, to Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I am now, and was struggling to find my queer community. Um, and because right. I was so lonely, I was listening to podcasts and I stumbled upon a podcast called Nancy, which is no longer running. In one of their episodes, they had an episode called How to Find Your Gaggle of Gays. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And it was fabulous. And so many people loved it that the friend Nancy Facebook group started many gaggles of gays around the world. That's so cool. Yeah, to meet other like-minded people. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. I jumped on there and I was like, well, I live close to Dallas. I'm sure there's a gaggle here. And to my uh, surprise, there wasn't. So right. I went, well, I guess I'm starting a gaggle of gays in the DFW area. <laughs> <laughs> and um, not surprising, I had four meetups and no one showed up. It's, you know, it sometimes happens, doesn't it? You just have to persevere on that sort of thing. You will find people eventually. Yes, and I did. I had one last, my fifth meetup, I had Aubrey and someone else join. And Aubrey and I kept in touch on the internet, as people do. Mm. And COVID hit. I lost my job and I was chit-chatting with Aubrey on how sad I was that Nancy was no longer running and we should just start our own podcast. And a lot of LGBTQ stories are centered in bigger cities like San Francisco, Chicago, New York, LA, right. but none of the Southern cities are ever mentioned. 
And Aubrey, who is my friend and now my co-host, we ventured on this journey of creating this podcast to share and bring voices from the LGBT community in the South section of the U.S. Um, so that's how our podcast started, was a lonely story that brought me friendship. And also we explore all things LGBTQ. So history in the South, people. Right people stories. We interview people. Now we're doing um, a series on LGBTQ weddings in the South, which seems to be quite interesting and timely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, I've always been impressed by how uh, you, you can do exactly what you want for your podcast. This particular podcast I base around my work, my job, but you know, I'm a bit of a nostalgia geek, so I also have a podcast about British kids' telly. And I love how you can be that focused. And this is what I want to talk about. This is what I'm going to talk about. And you always find your audience. Isn't modern life bloody wonderful? I, I want to say the internet is freaking wonderful. I don't think I would have found your <laughs> podcast or we would have been talking if we hadn't been like chit-chatting on Facebook. <laughs> no, exactly that. And I just wanted to make this podcast more diverse. You can only have so many 30 and 40 something white British men on a podcast before it becomes a little bit boring. You know, I'm not I'm not embarrassed about who I am, but, you know, the majority of my friends are like that. Yeah. And that's partly why I thought this podcast was so great, because I was like, yay, I want to hear more of like British podcasts and I want to understand what other people are doing. Like, heck, yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> Fantastic. So, shall we move on and talk about birth? Yeah. You've told me a little bit about where you were born, but when, and maybe a little bit more about your family or anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, so <laughs> there's so much I could talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in San Miguel de Allende in my childhood room so also I 300 plus other kids were born in that bed um, because my mom's a midwife wow amazing so I do have some fond memories of being woken up at three o'clock in the morning being like scoot baby's coming (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been to over 56 births and counting I've been to more uh, abortions and still born births than I'd like to admit. Right. But childbirth and birthing is a huge part of my upbringing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I funnily enough as a gay man, I have never seen anyone born and I'm not likely to and I- I'm okay with that. Do you feel like <laughs> do you feel like it's changed you that you've encountered so much of that? Yes, for many different reasons. My household was very woman-centered. Um my parents are still together and and my dad is a big part of my life, but um when I think of my childhood and birthing, I mean there was always women in and out in our house in our living room, in our dining room, there was placenta in our freezer like the knowledge base that I have around, you know, menstrual cycles and women's health is just like a given. And even my younger sister who is like, ew, that's like so gross. She still is <laughs> very knowledgeable on these topics because we just were surrounded by it. Mm. 
So, yeah, I think it really changed me, especially when I hear my friends my age who are either pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant. They have a lot of fear and a lot of lack of information of their own bodies. So inherently, just by being around my mom, she's also a naturopath and herbalist. I just I have really weird information when people are like, what? You can get pregnant while you're ovulating? And I'm sitting here like, duh, but (laughs) things that I consider duh are actually not duh to the general population. And I've learned that as I get older. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I have weird buckets (laughs) of knowledge around birth. (laughs) Yeah, I think I can see why that would be a thing. Tell me a favorite story about your childhood. Maybe not one involving other kids being born. (laughs) Gosh, there's there's many, many childhood stories I could go with. I think growing up in my hometown was a very particularly unique place to grow up in. I was able to walk everywhere, walk myself to school. My dad is uh, a restaurateur, and now he's in government. He's had many careers in his life as well. He's currently going to law school. Um, he's just one of those overachievers. But Amazing. I my favorite stories is there's a lot of hot springs that surround my hometown. So um, I have a lot of fond memories of going to friends' houses who had giant pools with hot spring water. So I did grow up swimming a lot, and um, I grew up thinking I was a mermaid for a long time, <laughs> even though... Um, <laughs> I'm from a small town that's landlocked and in the middle of the mountains, but um, my whole childhood would be like a favorite story. It was just so colorful and free. And like I said before, my mom's a midwife, so she's, you know, like kind of a hippie lady who like (laughs) had tea and brews always going on in the kitchen. So I don't know. There's so much there. Um, But mostly I think of my childhood as colorful and fairy-like almost. I spent a lot of time outdoors. (laughs) So I'm from a landlocked town as well, but um, unfortunately the town of Wolverhampton in Great Britain is not colourful. It is concrete. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd have benefited from being on the coast perhaps. But, um, you know, I'm actually quite proud of where I'm from. It's quite a... um, the people from that part of the world are considered relatively down to earth, perhaps, I think. So um, there's there's benefits wherever you're from. It just so happens that you had a lot of colour and I had none. But question, was it green? Like, did you have a lot uh, of green trees or like moss? <laughs> uh, sort of. Not as much as it perhaps should have. See, that's the one thing I didn't have is um, because we're landlocked in the mountains of Mexico, it's very arid and, um, you know, lots of cacti and mesquite trees. So when I go anywhere else, I'm always fascinated by how green things are, except here in Texas. It's not green here. (laughs) There's plenty of green in England. It's just perhaps not the area that I'm from. Gotcha. Because when I think (laughs) of my travels in England, I'm like, it was so green and like wet (laughs) moist (laughs) yeah it is and I, I always find it odd when I've got an American friend or an American guest on this show you know England is smaller than Texas by a significant amount Mm hmm. yeah so yeah 
I suppose there's perhaps more of a... What am I trying to say? I feel like for such a small part of the world, England is kind of both famous and infamous. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Are you kidding? I can't wait to go back. (laughs) Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Ah, COVID. (laughs) Indeed. Let's not talk about that. We're having a nice chat. Uh, Do you have any children? I do not, but sometimes I call my dogs children, which sounds weird (laughs) when I say it out loud. (laughs) No, it doesn't. My cat's the same. (laughs) So are you planning on having children? Uh, Tis the question of the century, I feel like. Um, (laughs) True. So as a gay woman and recently married slash engaged, people keep asking me that. I also realize that I'm at that window of time where people start asking me, are you going to have children or are you going to freeze your eggs? And I stare at them blankly like, oh, do I have to think about these things? (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be my response as well. Ugh. (sighs) Yeah, so it depends on the day. Um, Sometimes I dreamily look at my wife and think it's a great idea and how wonderful it would be. And sometimes I look at my bank account and go, I'm so glad I'm not, don't have kids. You know, sometimes I get panicked about, oh my God, I'm going to be 33. Uh, I know this is like an issue with women aging and I should put some uh, eggs on the ice immediately. And other days I, I, don't see myself as a parent at all. And I think, you know, the world is cruel and why would anyone want to raise kids in a pandemic? And, you know, then I go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So I don't know, I think would be the more accurate answer to that question. (laughs) I think that what you bring up is something that people in same sex relationships, there is more control over it. You can't have a happy accident if you are in a same sex relationship. And I think people like you, people like me, might overthink it sometimes. 100%. I also think if you're a heterosexual couple and you are mm, kind of indecisive about having kids, you could have like, okay, I'll get off the pill or stop using contraception and just if it happens, it happens. But with my wife and I, we we have to like consciously make a financial choice (laughs) absolutely go through the ringer of like the hormones and the you know buying the sperm like it's a very conscious decision and I never thought I would be in this position and Mm. so now that I have to make a conscious choice I really am weighing the pros and cons and not to get all floofy on you but then my Libra comes out and I go, ooh, choices. Let's weigh each side. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's floofy or, <laughs> or not. No, I don't think that's floofy at all. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I don't follow my star sign or anything like that. But I think having a look at things in a balanced perspective is is perfectly good idea. It's a hard one to answer as um, a gay couple because there's just there's a whole other hurdle that um, has to happen with us, and mm. 
you know, I've had the conversation with my wife on maybe we should go to Mexico and health tourism is real. And I've, you know, learned quite quickly that I could have a super high end birth at a birthing center with the fancy midwife and the fancy hotel bed in Mexico for less than a thousand dollars. Whereas here in the States, wow. it would cost me 10 grand and up. Yeah. So, you know, I've had that conversation and I'm like, I don't even know you know, work? How does that work with our employment and uh, dual citizenship? Mexico and the States has this love-hate relationship on either letting people having dual citizenship or not, depending on the government and their mood, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's fascinating that you can almost think too deeply about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if something happens to a heterosexual couple, they can get on with it. Does that make sense? 100%. I also think not that choosing whether or not to keep a pregnancy if you accidentally get pregnant is not an easy decision, but I think it's, um, I don't know, biologically, it's like, oh, it happened. Whereas with us, we have to like jump through hoops. So it's one more step and mm. a lot more of a bigger commitment. Or it feels that way. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you haven't actually made a decision and that, that's okay, you know? No, but I can tell you that I do have an OBGYN appointment coming up and in our schedule, we will be talking about freezing my eggs. <laughs> right. So uh, I haven't made a decision, but I have opened the Pandora's box of the conversation. <laughs> okay. So you've opened the Pandora's box and you have considered this and then you eventually decide that you do want to go that way. Are you thinking you would have a naming ceremony, a christening, or another ceremony to welcome your child into the world, do you think? Ooh, great question. I don't think we've gotten that far, but I do know that our wedding plans, um, we did get married via the courthouse last year, but our wedding isn't actually happening, happening until this December. So those conversations have come up on what kind of ceremony we're going to have. And I've learned quite quickly that my wife and I have very different opinions on ceremony. <laughs> okay. So I haven't had that conversation with her on terms of christening a future child or not, but I do know that it would probably be important to her family to have some kind of christening because she's from a Southern Baptist background. Whereas okay. I've said before, my family is more of like, we love the goddess and the plants and <laughs> we uh, revere womanhood. <laughs> right. I mean, would you call yourself Wiccan or spiritual or do you just not label yourself? You know, and um, my mother doesn't label, label herself. However, I would consider her pagan uh, more than Wiccan because she has a lot of knowledge of like the quote unquote, old ways, you know, and the study of herbalism and the origins of health and herbs have very pagan roots. So right. I would consider ourselves more pagan if I were to label us. Um, but my mom is also equally excited of like the Virgin Guadalupe. Um, but it might be because she's surrounded by her in Mexico. Um, Mexico is mm. incredibly Catholic and intensely so. <laughs> Right. So my mother would say we're spiritual. I would label her pagan and everyone else would probably scream <laughs> and say we're Wiccans. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think you can call yourself what the bloody hell you want to call yourself, to be honest with you. I concur. (laughs) (laughs) So you think it would be a christening, though, because of your partner? It would be some sort of christening because I would probably refuse. (laughs) So I would compromise. (laughs) (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with compromise. I think you could have a christening and then a separate ceremony without religion if you thought that that was a way to get everybody happy. Yeah, that, and that that's probably what would happen, most likely. I don't know how important it is to my wife. I just know it would be important to her mother. <laughs> right. So do you think there's a specific element you would like to have as part of the ceremony if you were welcoming a child into the world? I know you said, you know, there would have to be the christening element, so there would be the water on the forehead. But what about anything else? And this is totally, this is my pagan side coming out. I would actually include different elements as well. Um, I know water and its history of water and the conduits of it, but I would probably include earth, air, and fire into the ceremony somehow because I believe in, we live in these, with these elements around us all the time. I might also, I know that we're going to be very conscious of our how we name our child because I'm kind of stubborn about having a gender neutral name. (laughs) Okay, cool. So somehow I would figure out a way to do something beautiful to honor that Mm, mm. somehow. I don't know what, but I feel like that would be my initial reaction. I think that's lovely. And I think um, the idea of a general neutral name is quite, I don't want to say it's, unusual but I think it is quite unusual but I think it's great it's also challenging to do it in two different languages (laughs) oh yeah because we're bilingual I mean I'm bilingual and I have suffered a lot with my name in Mexico so it would be interesting to find a gender gender neutral name that's equally easy to pronounce in two different countries (laughs) yeah So, challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, let's move on and talk about marriage. I think you've already said, but are you married? Yes. So, backstory to my brief description is uh, we were going to get married on December 18th, 2020. And COVID oh. really put a dent on that. So we yeah. postponed to December 18th, 2021. But really, we've been really sad and um, grieving, not only about the pandemic, but also the loss of job, the loss of people's lives, the loss of excitement around our wedding. And Ruth Gator Bins- uh, Ginsburg died and they, you know, had a new woman come in and I frankly kind of pushed us to have a courthouse, um, you know, official wedding because I was worried about our rights. We do live in a state that is not friendly to um, LGBTQ people. And I looked at my wife and I said, oh my God, if they're going to change things, we need to do it now because it's harder for people to rescind people who are already, like they can't rescind marriage certificates. No. So I said, hey, let's cheer up. It was a really hard year, I'm sure, for many, many people. 
And so we got married on December 18th, 2020 um, in the backyard. So I feel like I'm in this weird limbo zone where I keep calling her my fiance, but she's actually my wife, but we haven't had the wedding. <laughs> so so it's fascinating. You're the first person that I've had on that has actually spoken explicitly about how COVID-19 has affected their wedding. So I think what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to split this section in almost into two and okay. ask you about your wedding day that you've had that was kind of, I suppose, an emergency, and then maybe move on to what you want for when you finally have kind of almost like a vow renewal, you might want to call it, because you said you were going to have a second celebration. Correct. Um, And I think when I explain in detail why it feels so uh, awkward for me right now, it will be clearer. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So the wedding we had was very one-sided. And what I mean by that is my parents are still in Mexico and my entire wedding party and my family is spread out across the U.S. I'm the only person here in Fort Worth. I do have a sister who lives in Austin, but it wasn't safe for her to travel. Right. So this backyard ceremony consisted of um, my fiance at the time, her parents, her broom of um, one of her broom maids. Um, my fiance does not go by bride. She right. is also not a groom. So we came up with the term broom. Um, and love it. We, we love, we love to joke about it and say, hashtag, she swept me off my feet. Get it? Cause it's a broom. Perfect. <laughs> We're really into puns. Love it. So uh, it was very broom heavy. Her aunt and uncle were there and it just felt like a celebration with just her and her people. I I did have a a Zoom link, but it was really strange, you know, seeing a whole bunch of people on the screen, quote unquote, my people, Mm. and then turning around and just seeing her people. Yeah. So it didn't feel like a Union, even though we have been officially union, you know, granted by law, but it didn't feel that way to me. I suppose that that's the thing, isn't it? That you've got the legal thing, but you want your real ceremony once it's safe to do so. Well, and and this also might be um, a really good reflection of my intersectionality. You know, because I'm bicultural, bilingual, I'm I'm an American citizen as well as a Mexican citizen. I Mm. think and speak in two different languages. The ceremony was only in English with my American wife and her American family in my American home. But half of my world wasn't there. So my friends who speak Spanish, my father who speaks Spanish, you know, the Mexican traditions um, that we chose to incorporate in the wedding didn't happen. So it almost felt like only half of me got married. Yeah, of course. And I know that if you're, if one of your listeners is bicultural, they'll get it. It just felt really like a bubble. So it was great to be legally married, but it feels incomplete. Yeah. And I think as a humanist celebrant, I can absolutely, absolutely empathize with that because in Britain, humanist marriage isn't currently legal. You have to go to a secular registrar to make your marriage legal Hmm. before or after you have your humanist ceremony. And a lot of people that I've done weddings for have said that 
it felt like what I was doing with them was their real wedding. And the other thing was almost an intrusion. Yes, I can totally see that. And it's the same in Mexico. So I almost felt like this was the legal part we had to do. And it felt strange and, you know, a little bit off-putting because there was no dancing afterwards. I mean, I was dancing in the kitchen, Uh but (laughs) it was just me and my piece of cake, you know? (laughs) Right. You know, I FaceTimed with my parents and they were cheersing with champagne, but it also just made me really sad because it's been a really long time since I've seen my family. And Absolutely. So it, it made me it made me sad more than happy. <laughs> Not the burying my wife, but um, it made no. me sad to kind of it just reinforced the distance. I think that's the tragedy of COVID nineteen is you know it it's awful that everything is on Zoom, but when it's something as important as one of your life's milestones, that's when it really hits home what this virus is doing to us mentally as well as physically when people catch it, you know? 100%. And, you know, celebration and having my chosen LGBTQ family meet my blood relatives, I think is a really big deal. And I was really looking forward to blending them as well as, you know, my family members who are, Spanish speaking, blending with um, my wife's family, who is very uh, white and American and Texan. So seeing (laughs) all of those blend together, I think is going to be really fruitful for me. Mm. And I've insisted this before, even with my friendships and my past relationships, you don't know who I really am until you've been to my weird hometown and heard my Spanglishness and understand two sides of my culture that I face every single day. Um, You know, being gay and a a, a straight looking woman is one thing, but being a white looking Mexican is another. There's so much layers about my own self that Mm. in order to feel like the marriage is truly encompassing all of those different sections, I need them to blend (laughs) or at least have one night where we're all dancing together. (laughs) And you'll get it. Do you think you will go ahead with December this year? God, I hope so. I have lots of moments of, yay, you know, Texas is, um, you know, rolling out vaccines. And then I go, oh, no, Texas has opened 100% and let go of mask mandates. And there is variants. And um, why are Americans so stupid? (laughs) (laughs) I am not biting on that one. So, uh, you know, I go back and forth. Sometimes I think we're in the clear. And, you know, when I listen to our current president saying that he'll roll out vaccines by the end of May, and we'll have a relatively, quote, normal, I don't even know what that means, summer, uh, then I'm excited. And then I have little moments of, oh, shit, I don't know how I feel about postponing again. My grandfather is 91. Is he going to make it to the wedding? Are we even going to have a wedding? You know, I have, oh, shit moments often, and it drives my wife nuts. (laughs) She hates it. (laughs) I think from what you've said, you didn't really get a first dance. You certainly didn't get a honeymoon. And 
you didn't get a lot of what you wanted to be as a part of your ceremony. So it's fantastic that you're legally married and you've protected yourself and your wife. But shall we talk about what's coming up, hopefully in December 2021? Yeah, well, and hopefully there's other events that will happen before that as well. Yeah. For example, this is hilarious, but um, my wife's mother, so my future mother in love, Donna, she has a group of women called the Jugs. It stands for just us girls, but all of their like swag <laughs> is women's boobs. And I'm like, this is the gayest thing I've ever seen. And I freaking love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a group of women who she's been friends with for like 10 years, 20 years. You know, they've like grew up together and um, they celebrate all of their children with engagement parties. And so the jugs want to throw us an engagement party, a joint one with boobs everywhere and and I'm all about it (laughs) so I'm really hoping that happens fair enough (laughs) there's also uh, my bachelorette and um, Allison's bachelorette um, that she's hoping to have you know she wants to go to Kentucky and she's a big bourbon drinker so she's excited to do a whiskey trail kind of trip cool so we have other plans that are coming up before the wedding that we're hoping that we'll be able to do. Of course, all of this is dependent on safety and um, COVID restrictions. And then the actual wedding, we're all about pushing gender norms. If you have ever, you know, stalk our (laughs) Instagram on Southern Queries or my own Instagram, you will learn that my wife is very masculine of center and dresses in very um, masculine of center clothing. And all of her wedding party will be wearing dresses because most of them are women. And my wedding party, even though there are women, they're all will be wearing suits. So even our wedding itself and like people standing up in the altar with us is going to be reversed. I'll be wearing a dress. Allison will be wearing a suit. um, And I'm thrilled to push the gender norms during our wedding. And we're very excited to have, you know, that's part of the experience is like getting ready together and the gatherings and the rehearsal yeah. dinner and yeah. all that. <laughs> I think the idea of ritual has become more along the lines of creating your own. Certainly as I've got older, it's not so much converting religious ritual to make it fit. It's more I'm completely free now to create what I want. And this is what I want. This is my ritual. And ritual has almost evolved into something more personal, but it retains its comfort in a way. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, both Alison and I are really looking forward to, quote, I guess, renewing our vows. We want to do a hand fasting ceremony with like the rope. My favorite. And, you know, you tie the Celtic knot on the bottom. You know, it's just, it's beautiful. And I think it's very symbolic on the intertwining of two different lives because I'm really big on, we're two individual people who want to share our lives. I can't stand the... My find my other half. I'm like, no, I'm a whole person. And this other whole person is going to come intertwine with me, not two halves make one whole. Just (laughs) I think you're right about hand fasting because it's just so lovely that it's so symbolic. One of the couples that I did a hand fasting for, they actually got a glass tube and put the knot inside it. 
And then they've got it above their mantelpiece, which I think is so lovely. Ooh, taking notes. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'm excited to, you know, have that kind of celebration. I'm also really into dancing and music. And I think there's, you know, we want to have fun and remember the day is not only beautiful and romantic and loving, but also fun Mm. and just like a great celebration. And boy, we could all use a little bit of fun in our life with other people. (laughs) So I want to talk about music, actually, in British weddings, regardless of whether they're secular or humanist or religious. Mm -hmm. There's always been quite a big emphasis on what's the first dance going to be? What song will you have your awkward walk around slowly dance with and wait for the verse to hit so that everybody can join you? Is that a thing in Mexican weddings or is it more about something else? Uh, Yes, (laughs) Mexicans are really into music. They also have very strange traditions, one of which I will be uh, encouraging us to do. And it's called La Vibora. Um, I'm pretty sure it's called La Vibora de la Mar. And um, it basically means the snake of the sea. (laughs) I'm going to have to look up the actual origins to it, but the way it works is you have the the couple-to-be or the couple who just got married stand on these chairs, and then you have the wedding party form a circle around them with their arms and, like, you know, arm lock. And then the rest of the wedding kind of does, like, a you know, put their hands on their hips and then they follow people around them in kind of a figure eight, um, like an infinity sign. And the idea is you're supposed to knock into the wedding party and try and knock either the bride or the groom over. And (laughs) brilliant. the, the symbolism around it is your wedding party is your chosen family who's there to support you no matter what life will try and knock you over. And I think the bride and groom are supposed to hold hands as well. And like they have a little, like their hands form a little arch and that's the house that you're building that you're going to hold. And so the idea is no one gets knocked over because you have just bonded into a new union and family members, guests, life events are what are supposedly going to be knocking into you. And that's the symbolism around this ritual, but it gets very rowdy, especially when there's alcohol involved. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all done with song and music and it goes, it's prompted with the music. So I'm hoping that we'll have this kind of celebration happening. The look of terror on my wife (laughs) was like, (laughs) you want to do what? And I was like, it's okay. I swear no one will get hurt unless you like fall off your chair. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I've never, ever heard of anything like this before. I I think that's fantastic. And it's certainly a lot more interesting than an awkward couple who can't dance, clutching each other, waiting for other people to come on the dance floor. Oh, technically that happens too. And that's (laughs) this thing that I'm describing happens after the fact. Um, Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) So we do both, and I believe we'll be doing both at our wedding as well. <laughs> do you have any idea what song you'll choose for your walk around slowly dance then? So 
Allison and I have been torn. We did choose a song by a band called Green uh, River Ordinance, um, which is a local band here to Fort Worth. Allison immediately starts crying when she hears the song, <laughs> which I find endearing and great. Um, however, we just recently finished watching during 2020 a TV show called Shit's Creek. <laughs> I don't know. If I've anyone... just started watching it. I'm about okay. six or eight episodes in. I've heard nothing but good stuff about it. And so far, it's great. Well, there is a song that one of the characters plays to one of the other characters, and they are a same-sex couple called Simply the Best. And we watched it pretty much around the time that Allison and I postponed our wedding. So we were both very emotional and teary-eyed anyway and watching that scene. And when you see the episode, Mark, I know you'll you'll think of me and go, oh, this is what she meant. I don't want to give you spoilers, but... Um, we bawled for like the rest of the episode, and I looked over at my wife and I said, "We need this song in our wedding." <laughs> That's lovely. That though, it's still a shared moment, even if you're sat at home because of COVID and you're binge watching telly. Right. So um, it was symbolic, and I think we want to include that song in our um, upcoming wedding because it was symbolic to where we were grieving the loss of our 2020 wedding Mm. and it's a beautiful song and I do think she's simply the best so why not (laughs) (laughs) couldn't approve more okay so we're gonna move on and talk about death now and the first one I'm never sure whether it's a big one or an easy one or not so I'm just gonna ask it are you scared of death You know, when I saw this question in your um, PDF that you sent me, my initial thought was no. And then when I thought about it a little bit more, I went, well, maybe so. (laughs) Right. I think my gut reaction is no. I think I'm more scared of prolonged dying. And what I mean by that is, you know, Uh, being sick for a really long time and having your organs shut down slowly yeah, yeah, and know that that's where you're headed and unable to do anything about it or being stuck in limbo and, you know, being in a coma or yeah, I'm more afraid of the suffering than I am of death itself. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And um, have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? I have. And It was a very strange one, to say the least. It was my grandmother on my mother's Mm -hmm. side, Margaret Foreman, who was Margaret King. And she abandoned my mother um, at the age of 10 in Mexico, in San Miguel de Allende. But that's why our lives are there, is because my grandmother was there and left my mother there. So my grandmother was definitely not a warm and fuzzy lady. I saw her three times in my entire life. So that means I saw her once every 10 years. Right. And the last time I saw her, she came back to my hometown to die. And even though my mother is the last child of four, she was the one who was her sole caretaker and took care of her and her dying deathbed I mean we were there right which always felt like my mom was doing it kind of to stick it to her in a way like you didn't take care of me but I'll take care of you that makes a weird kind of sense 
It does, but that's the justification I've made to myself because I still don't understand why my mom would do anything to help that woman. Mm. She wasn't very kind. And the one time I really needed her, my grandmother was incredibly cruel. And to this day, I don't understand why she did what she did. So it was really difficult to grieve her when I felt so little for her. And it feels it feels really sad for me to admit that, but she was a very unkind woman, although she could be kind at some points. Right. No one ever talks about that kind of situation, or at least if they do, it's never something that they would talk about potentially on a podcast like this. So I'm, I'm really grateful for you for sharing that story. Did you get anything from the funeral that maybe gave you some peace? So what's interesting is we did not have a funeral. Okay. She passed at, I think, three o'clock in the morning um, with the nurse. And for some reason, I didn't go back to the apartment that she was living in, which was around the corner from my mom's house. I was more concerned about my mother than I was about I don't know, making peace with my grandmother. I did go and see her a couple days before she died. She was bedridden at that point. Mm. And she wasn't speaking much anymore. And I guess I went to say goodbye to her. And I did debate asking her why she left my mother and why she was so cruel to me when my mother lost her fourth child. Right. You know, I I debated like, oh, I should ask her all these questions. But then it dawned on me that I think I missed the opportunity. And so I held her hand and looked at her beady eyes. And I kind of just said, I forgive you and you're, you're free to go. That's pretty decent. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, to be honest with you. So even though I I feel like there's a lot of resentment in my voice when I talk about her, I I feel like she needed that in order to go. Right. And, you know, she patted my hand and nodded and then her eyes kind of glazed over and she spaced out again. So then I was like, well, I guess that was that. But till this day, I have found myself not weeping for her. I just feel a lot of sorrow. My mom, on the other hand, was an incredible mom. She's really warm. She's a midwife. So she's been a a mom for many, many other women and other babies. So she was the complete opposite for my grandmother. So her death is one that I'm not looking forward to. People till this day, you know, when they find out who my mother is, they're like, your mother. And then I'm like, oh yes, I think she's great too. But people like revere her motherness. Amazing. Sorry, that was a really long answer to your question, but um, yes. No, absolutely. Well, you know, that's the beauty of podcasting, isn't it? You can have an episode that's as long or as short as you like. But should we talk about, well, let's get happy and talk about your funeral. No, um, should we talk about how you think you would like your funeral to go? Have you thought about whether you want to be buried or cremated? Or is there an alternative in the States? Because they're the only two legal ones in Britain at the moment. Oh, Um, well, I actually don't know if this is legal, but I want to do it. I'd love to be cremated and, um, I would like my ashes to be used to create those tree pods 
and then someone can grow a tree. <laughs> I've seen those tree pods. They're so cool. I want yeah. them to be legal. I'd love to do ceremonies in, around those. Um, but, you know, my scapegoat for everything is, well, if it's not legal in the States, I'll just get cremated and buried in Mexico because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no one gives a shit in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> now, Scotland tend to put in progressive laws about five or ten years before England does. So, you know, I can legally marry people in, in Scotland, but I still don't think I can do the pods. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's my alternative to everything is, oh, we can't get married in the U.S.? We'll just go to Mexico. Oh, um, I can't have babies here? I'll go to Mexico. <laughs> Mexico is my escape goat. <laughs> Good, good. I'm glad you've got that. So, so you, you'll you'll have a cremation and then hopefully become a tree. Yeah, you know, damn my mother. But, you know, she talks about the cycle of life and, you know, mm. she has all these like really beautiful sayings. And I really should start recording her, to be perfectly honest. She always talks about how life always wants to live. And if you walk down the sidewalks in a city, you'll see grass poking out in between the cracks of cement. And that's life just wanting to live. Mm. And she talks about how burying bodies, mushrooms will grow on top of it. That's life wanting to live and the cycle yeah. of, you know, reincarnation and going back into the earth. So to me, it, I never thought about being buried in a casket with like a tombstone. I always thought I would be ashes. And then when I saw the trees, I was like, oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, yes. You know, thinking of childhood I don't know, books of like the trees that would speak or evergreens. Like, I don't know. I just thought it sounded magical and romantic. <laughs> mm. So as a British guy who's seen Six Feet Under, and that was my first encounter with embalming, I've become a little bit obsessed with it because it is so alien to British culture. If you didn't know, there's almost no embalming. I've never heard of anyone that's British being embalmed. Is that a thing that happens in Mexico as well? Do you embalm in Mexico or is that as alien to you as it, it was to me? No, um, it's actually the way to be dead and buried. Um, Mexico loves doing ceremonious things around religion. So, right. for example, if you give birth, it is customary that women have to do their cuarentena, which actually translates into quarantine. They should be in quarantine for 40 days. So quarantena also um, comes from the word or the Latin word for 40. So for 40 right. days, a woman and their baby should not leave the house and should not have guests. And it, uh, it correlates with the Bible. Don't quote me on this because I'm terrible at it. I'm not a Catholic <laughs> or a Christian, um, but it correlates with uh, how many days Jesus was dead for and then arose or something like that. Please don't quote me on this. But it, it's with that same cycle. So um, we actually grieve our dead for 40 days. Shoot, now I feel like I have to Google this because it's a thing and people like bring food and stay in the funeral home overnight for like days and days and days. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a big deal in Mexico and definitely embalming is a thing. So you wouldn't want to be embalmed yourself or do you think you would? Oh, see, here it is. Sorry, I had to Google it really quick. After death, a vigil is held with the family and friends from 24 to 48 hours. 
They will eat and drink together and the guests will pray and bring the family gifts and the deceased will be buried with their clothing and important possessions. So embalming is like a huge deal. And I feel like it's more than 48 hours in some places because I swear people like do the praying with the the rosaries for like weeks. Mm. Um, What was your question? Sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) Do I want to be embalmed? Yeah, do you think you'll be embalmed so that you can have some kind of ritual before you get cremated and put into a tree? Not if I don't have to. (laughs) I don't know if the tree cremation requires it, but preferably not. But And but, however, I am an organ donor, Mm. so maybe I might have to do some sort of embalming and retrieval of organs if I am at a decent age to donate these Mm. organs but my preference would be no i think it would be invasive in my temple of a body no (laughs) no fair enough (laughs) organ donation is still opt-in rather than opt-out in the states isn't it correct is it not like that in england nope you have to opt out oh interesting you're automatically a donor as of very recently actually during the covid times it changed but now you have to register to opt out rather than register to opt in in Britain. That is so, like, nice of people. I think so, but I can understand why some folk might not like that, but at least they've got the option to opt out. Right, but I feel like it's just like voting. Like, it should be automatically registered at 18, and if you don't want to vote, then it's your problem, not because you were dumb enough not to register. The states mm. could do many things different. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> no, and I'm not going to have a whinge about Britain either. <laughs> Let's talk about your funeral. Do you have do you, a reading that you think you'd like to be read at your funeral? Mm. That's a great question. I probably will have a reading. I don't know what yet. I would love to have. Frankly, my mom's a really great writer. Maybe I should ask her. <laughs> She's <laughs> ordained, so she also has like a library worth of like different readings. Um, people ask her to speak at funerals often. So I probably dig something up that my mother wrote, especially if I died like recently. I I would hope that she would say something. She's very eloquent in her speaking. She's a great writer. And then I would most definitely encourage if not require, lots of dancing, food, and celebration of my life. I I don't want to see people standing around sobbing, wearing black. I would probably ask people to wear white or red and have like a party. (laughs) I I did one funeral once for a fellow that always wore bow ties. Wherever he went, he wore a bow tie. So when I stood in front of all the people at his funeral, there was a row after row of bow ties. That is so beautiful. Yes. See, now I need to have some kind of thing that I wear all the time that I want other people to wear. (laughs) Get yourself a jaunty hat and then demand jaunty hats. Yeah, I don't know. I I would want people to (laughs) laugh and think about the great memories instead of being sick to their stomach and teary eyed. You know, I'd love there to be lots of dancing and free-flowing booze and have it be like, remember that one party we went to that was actually India's funeral? (laughs) Brilliant. Do you think you'd want a bilingual funeral? Um, To honor my father, 100%. 
and I think it would happen in on inadvertently. Um, although my life right now is very English speaking centric, I do find myself muttering to myself in Spanish, and I do find myself jumping at the opportunity to, to speak to anyone in Spanish. But in Texas, mm. <laughs> I've um, encountered a lot of second to third generation Mexicans or um, other, you know, Latin descent people yeah. and their parents, you know, did not speak to them in Spanish or right. the kids never learned it. So they might understand it, but they don't speak it. And in fact, it's really unfortunate, but pretty much everyone I've met who is either of Mexican descent or Hispanic of descent of some sort, don't ever answer me in Spanish. I'll be like, ah, que padre, me encanta. And I'll be like super excited <laughs> and they just respond to me in English. So I think there's a lot of stigma around being um, Hispanic and speaking right. Spanish, especially in Texas, in the South right. in general. The friends who do speak to me in Spanish are half Argentinian or half Cuban, and they feel proud about being bilingual and will speak right. to me in Spanish all day. But Mexicans shy away from it, and I think because there's a lot of discrimination. So I went off on a tangent. To answer your question, yes, there would be Spanish-speaking <laughs> Because if you're around me enough, you realize that I say things like, Que padre! And then people are like, what? And I'm like, it means cool. <laughs> but it's because I miss speaking Spanish and I miss hearing the language. Oh, fair enough. I think it's lovely that... I love the idea of it. I couldn't do it personally. My Spanish is three years of uh, high school Spanish. So uh, <laughs> I, I might be able to tell you how many brothers I've got, but I certainly couldn't do a funeral for you. So I, I think it's great and um, it's something that I wish I could do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, complicated. It really, I'm a terrible speller and I can't seem to do math in Spanish because I learned math in English. <laughs> I can't seem to do maths, let alone do it in Spanish. <laughs> so you've said that music is a really important part of your life. Have you thought about what music tracks you would like to be a part of your ceremony, the entrance, the reflection, or the exit? No, but gosh darn, I should be thinking about these things. <laughs> I've got a Spotify playlist I'm, you know, I don't mess about. I've well, got a see, Spotify playlist I've shared with my family. Ah, oh, that's genius. I have a Spotify playlist for, you know, romantic dinner songs that we're going to be playing at the wedding, the ceremony, you know, the exit songs. I should do one for my death. <laughs> Get on it. Um, so yeah, I'm super pumped about that. Um, I think my initial thought was, oh God, I should have everyone play music, like have a drum circle. Cool. My wife is a, mu a musician. So, and my mom like loves drum circles. So in my head, I was like, oh no, I would have like a little area with musical instruments. So if people wanted to jam, they could. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> Because maybe playlists of music that have already been written isn't applicable, but if there's people there who want to make their own music to set memory of the day, I think, you know, I'm all about like, let's participate and create memories together. Mm. <laughs> I love this. Maybe both. I'll probably come up with a Spotify playlist and then have um, a random array of instruments for people to play if they feel so inclined. Fair enough. So, right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Off the top of your head, a song that you want played at your funeral. 
Mm, probably, and this is like the gayest thing I'll probably ever say. Gosh, <laughs> we are family by the um, sister sledge. Yes. <laughs> Because I feel like that's who would probably be at my funeral is <laughs> bonded together by family. And if yeah. they're there, I consider them my family. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect funeral song. So good choice, particularly as I put you on the spot. You know, and it's cheery. And, you know, I just want to like wave my hands and dance around the table every time I hear that song. <laughs> so <laughs> Sounds good to me. <gasps> So, India, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Life's Milestones. And um, I love getting people who aren't British on because it really does give a different perspective and gives different but strangely familiar stories as well. So you've been brilliant. Where can people find you on the Internet if they want to listen to your podcast or see your work or anything like that? Yeah. um, Well, I want to say I learned just as much. um, So it was super fruitful for me. I'm all like, God, I got to Google some more stuff on, you know, death and (laughs) weddings. Um, That's on. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, You can find me on the internet. You can follow me on Instagram at India Bastien, and that's B-A-S-T-I-E-N. And you can follow and listen to our podcast anywhere you get our po- your podcast. So, you know, Spotify, Pandora, you name it, we're everywhere. At Southern Queries Podcast. We are also on Instagram as Southern Queries. Or you can visit our website and get all the links, um, www.southernqueries.com. And that's queries spelt Q-U-E-E-R-Y-S, isn't it? Yes. So it's It's a pun. It is a pun. (laughs) (laughs) As I said before, we're really into puns over here. So (laughs) I love a pun. You've got you've convinced me. So yeah, follow us and um Aubrey is equally interesting. We both have our coming out stories on our podcast, but we also interview a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds um from around the South and soon we'll start having people from Mexico because LGBTQ Mexico is also a very untold story. (laughs) I can believe that. Absolutely. So thank you again. You've been brilliant. Thank you, Mark. This has been great. And I'd just like to say one more time, thank you so much to India for taking the time out of her day and working with me on massively different time zones to be able to share her stories about her life's milestones. And... Before I go, I just want to do a quick reminder that I am now accredited by Humanist UK to do pre-planned funeral services. So if you're looking at getting some information down and looking at preparing for a funeral, doesn't matter how old you are, then get in touch and we'll see whether I can help you. So until next time, thank you so much for joining me for Life's Milestones and I'll see you in a fortnight. Life's Milestones is a podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. The show's host is me, Mark Adams. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. My website is humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. Regular listeners to the podcast can claim a 10% discount on my fees for a naming ceremony or wedding 
just make sure you quote milestones when you get in touch. The theme tune for Life's Milestones is performed by Zach Reagan and the logo was created by Carl Bryan. Follow the show on Twitter at Life's Milestones. Thank you for listening. This is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you just listened to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This talent pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash we made this and get the ball rolling elsewhere on We Made This. Right in the childhood. At the moment, number one is Gummy Bears. Number two is Robin of Sherwood. Number three is Dark Season. And number four is The Tripods. Where are we putting Cyber City? This is going straight to the top, popping right to the top. Oh. I, I was all about this, yeah. My goodness. I was, yeah, I was digging this. and I, I feel like my top five for your stuff has been like everything's getting better and better but yeah this was I was digging it we dig music she always makes me think of my mum though because my mum's middle name is Avril right okay I thought you meant because your mum <laughs> was a skater boy because she was uh, a skater boy yeah <laughs> or, or your dad was <laughs> actually my dad was my dad, you in go. his youth, used to play roller hockey. <laughs> I don't think that's quite the same as being a skateboarder. He was a skater boy. He had Fair roller enough. boots. Don't diss roller boots. Roller boots are f***ing rubbish. <laughs> I, tri- I f***ing tripped over a roller skate earlier, so roller skates can f***ing... Roller boots are coming back in a big way, man. I've seen loads of people doing <laughs> skating. That, that is like that. That is true, actually. You've seen. I always wanted some, and I never got a pair. <laughs> you get some now. Yeah, yeah. Could, could have had some for your fiftieth birthday. That wouldn't have been a <laughs> midlife crisis, would it? Yeah, I'll probably kill myself by I'm fifty-one. Yeah, don't do that. We've got a load more episodes planned. We are Starfleet. They want to share their their joy, their feelings, you know, whether it's happiness or disappointment. And I understand. But Thursday afternoon, you know, taking a screen grab of the final act and like the big reveal and just like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And then hashtagging like Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, yeah. Star Trek Voyager. It's like, come on, man, you're spoiling it. Yeah, I uh, I hate spoilers myself. I, I do Whenever there's something I'm looking forward to, I do try to stay off of any and all social media if I can. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. <laughs>